end, have been truly born again. This is not the same as once saved, always saved. Sometimes we often will use that expression, but that can actually be very misleading. Once saved, always saved is often taken to mean that a mere profession of faith in Christ guarantees eternal salvation. And so regardless of whether or not there is spiritual fruit in a person's life, um, by virtue of a simple profession of faith, they can claim that they are eternally secure. Some people will even go so far as to say, we can live however we want. But we can be sure of going to heaven if we have made a profession of faith. Can I make it very clear to us this morning? That is not what the Bible teaches. In fact, notice three things in this definition. God's power is what keeps us saved. All God's people said to that? Yeah. But notice, secondly, God's power keeps us saved in this way. It keeps us persevering in the Christian life until the end of our lives. And then the third element of the definition is only those who persevere in living for Christ to the end, only they are truly Christians. Now, isn't this both a challenge and a comfort? Isn't it? If we're not living for Christ, why? Why? Well, maybe it's because we don't really know Him. Maybe our salvation really is not real. So if we're in that category, it's a real challenge. But if we're really born again, isn't this a comfort? Isn't it? Because what it means is we are eternally secure in our salvation and can never, ever be lost. Yes. One of the greatest places where this is taught is right in the middle of the greatest prayer that Jesus ever prayed. We are rounding out our series in the Last Supper in John 13 through 17. And today we are in the middle of Jesus' prayer. I want you to take your Bibles and open there to John 17. And I want you to notice, just before I read the first portion of verses 11 to 19, that Jesus gives to us the two sides of the perseverance of the saints. Please mark this down in our minds this morning. Here are the two sides of this wonderful teaching. Number one, the Father keeps believers loyal to His Son. Oh, how beautiful that is. But number two, this is the other side. The Father sanctifies believers for His service. Those are both sides of this great doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Now this morning we're going to look at the first one. And next week we will look at the second one. By the way, you'll be grateful for that if we looked at both of them. Oh, well, how long do you have today? All right, so we'll look at the first one. 
But follow along with me as I read verses 11 to 16. Now remember Jesus is praying, and so we're brought into the throne room of the Father listening to the prayers of the Son. Listen to what He says. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that was Judas, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Bow with me for a moment in prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you today for bringing us in to your personal conversation and prayer to the Father. Thank you that your prayer for your eleven is intended for us. And the truths that we find here, the promises, oh, how they tell us how secure we are in our relationship with you. I pray for that soul today who maybe is saved and struggling with doubt. May they find assurance. I pray for that person who perhaps has presumption whose life bears no spiritual fruit, may they today be challenged. May all of us, Lord, be encouraged with truth from your word that will cause us to love you more and to follow you with grateful hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen. In this first portion of these verses, Jesus is praying, and he teaches us how it is that the Father keeps us loyal. You'll notice in verse 11, he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me. Now, that word keep, which Jesus is going to use again in verse 12, is a very, very interesting word in his definition. It means to preserve. It literally has the idea of to keep one in the state in which he or she is in. That definition is very, very important. Keep here means to keep one in the state in which he or she is in. Let me ask you, what state are we in as believers? What state are we in? Well, did you notice here how Jesus defines it? He tells us that we are loyal to God's character revealed to us in Jesus Christ who has saved us. That's the state that we're in. 
We are loyal to God's character revealed to us in Jesus Christ who has saved us. He says, Father, keep them in your name. God's name stands for all that he is. And to be kept in someone's name is an idea of of keeping loyal to that person. And then Jesus says, Lord, you gave me your name. God's name or character has been uh, supremely given to the Lord Jesus. Uh, Do you remember how in the Gospel of John, he would often take the, the name that God revealed to Moses, I am, and he would take it upon his own lips. And he would say, for example, to the Jews, before Abraham existed, I am. And then in his life and in his ministry, he would reveal what it meant for God to be I am to all who had placed their trust in Jesus. Jesus would say, this is what it means. I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. I am the door to the sheepfold. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He stood at the graveside of Lazarus and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then in this series that we've been in, we saw that he said, I am the true vine. And so what Jesus was teaching us was that he revealed the character of the Father in the fullest way to be all that believers need. Now the disciples, as we've seen, they didn't understand it all, did they? But they believed. They believed. And now Jesus prays and he says, Father, keep them loyal to me and keep them loyal to my word. By the way, how could they be sure? How could they be sure this prayer to stay loyal would be answered? How can we be sure? How can you be sure you're going to be loyal? How can I be sure I'm going to be loyal? Well, did you know in the next verse, Jesus says, you can be sure because I have kept you loyal during my three and a half year ministry. Look at verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except Judas. Uh, Brothers and sisters, Jesus uses two words here, kept and guarded. They are very, very strong terms. In fact, the word guarded here was used of somebody guarding a prisoner. Uh, Let me ask you a simple question. Why hasn't there been any prison breaks in a very long time from the Marquette Branch Prison? Well, it's because they're a very secure prison, and they have very good guards, and I've met many of them, and I constantly thank them, because if it wasn't for them, we would all be in a lot of trouble, wouldn't we? Uh, By the way, uh, I just got to drop this in. Before we came up here, I was telling folks we were moving up to Marquette and the UP, and uh, 
uh, this one lady in the pharmacy I was telling her about, you know what she said? She said, they're always breaking out of that prison up there. <laughs> Don't repeat this very loudly. Lots of people are completely confused about the UP, aren't they? When my son's football team went down to play in Marquette, they were singing to him, to, to the team, to mock the team, O Canada, because they thought they were from Canada. <laughs> so, so anyway, in, in response, they beat them. That's what they did. So, um, but look at this. Look at this. Our guard is Jesus. Is there any greater guard? And notice that he kept his disciples, he preserved them. These two words in verse 12, I kept them and I guarded them, give strong assurance. Guard means to have safe custody, and kept means to be present possession. So kept is the result of guarding. Jesus is saying to his disciples, I have already kept you in safe custody, and therefore, as a result, you remain my present possession. Now Jesus assures them, and he assures us, I'm getting ready to leave, and I am praying, and I am asking the Father after I leave that He would do the very same. He would keep you. You know what all of us are thinking at this point? What about Judas, right? Judas was one of the twelve. Didn't Jesus lose Judas? How would you answer? By the way, do you think later on this would trouble the disciples? Do you think the eleven might have later on began to wonder, what if we end up like Judas? By the way, has that ever troubled you? Have you ever said to yourself, how can I be sure that I will follow Jesus all the way to the end? What if I abandon him like Judas? How would you answer that? You know what Jesus' answer is? He knew we would ask that question. Jesus' answer is, Judas was not a true believer. In fact, in verse 12, he describes him as the son of destruction. That expression, son of, is a Hebrew expression for an intimate relationship to something. It is describing Judas's character and his destiny. Judas had a perditious character, therefore he would have a perditious destiny. Jesus did not lose Judas. He was a phony disciple from the very beginning who never believed. In fact, earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus had said Judas is a devil who was willingly given over to Satan's work. Jesus never lost Judas. He was never a believer to begin with. 
Let me ask you today, have you ever wondered, why did Peter return after his denial, but Judas did not return after his betrayal? What's the difference in the two men? Do you know the Bible answers it? Look at this passage for just a moment. Luke 22, 31 and 32, Jesus said this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. By the way, who does that remind you of in the Old Testament? Job. Job chapters 1 and 2, Satan comes to the Lord and says, Give me permission to attack Job. He will deny his faith and he will reject you. Now Satan comes to the same question with Peter and he asks him the same thing. By the way, sifting something like wheat, that is a violent action. You ever seen wheat and chaff put in a sieve and separated? That is a violent action. Satan is coming and he's saying, I am going to take Peter, if the Lord will permit, and I'm going to shake him so hard, my goal is to separate him from his faith. Why, after Peter fell, did he return? Look what Jesus said. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Why did Peter return? Well, look at Jesus' answers. Jesus prayed for Peter. The content of his prayer was, Father, do not allow his faith to fail. And the result was, Peter would turn again. That's a, an expression in the Old Testament for genuine repentance and turning back to God. Now, do you know what's amazing about this? No such prayer is ever uttered for Judas. Now, please do not get me wrong. Jesus cared for Judas. In fact, he reached out to Judas all the way to the end. Even in the garden when he betrayed him, he called him friend. But Judas rejected Jesus' offer. He remained a lost person. And Jesus never prayed for his recovery. You know what Peter is? He's a perfect example of verse 12 in John 17. Jesus said, I have kept them. In your name, which you have given to me, I have guarded them, and not one has been lost except the one who never belonged to me. And now Peter is a perfect example that Jesus kept all eleven, and not one was lost. And now, what Jesus prayed for Peter, he now says in verse 11, I am praying for all of them. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given to me. Let me ask you, anything that Jesus, the Son, asked the Father, is that ever denied? 
At the grave of Lazarus, Jesus said, Father, I know you always hear me. Whatever Jesus prays and asks the Father for is never denied. It's always answered. You know what the Bible teacher J.I. Packer says at this point? It is inconceivable that Jesus' prayer, which still continues, will go unanswered. And I read that comment and I say, wait, wait a minute, in what way does this prayer continue? In what way does this continue for us? Turn with me for a moment to Romans 8, and uh, let me read for you how this prayer of Jesus continues for us, starting in verse 31. Uh, You want to see your socks blown off this morning? I have secured my socks extra tight this morning because this blows me away. Look at it. Romans 8:31. What sh- then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Now notice this. Who is indeed, what does it say? Interceding for us. The same Savior that prayed for the eleven, Father, keep them in your name, which you gave to me, now prays for us. By the way, did you underline in these verses what this means? Verse 31, no one can be against us successfully. Verse 32, God will give us all things that are necessary for us to continue on in our salvation. Verse 33, though we are failures in many ways, there will be no charge that will ever stick to God's elect. Verse 34, who is able to condemn successfully? The answer is no one. And why is it all true? Because Christ is interceding for us. My, how wonderful this is. What is the perseverance of the saints? Well, it is this great and wonderful truth that God keeps every genuine believer loyal to His Son. And it's all based upon the work of Christ completed for us now as he intercedes for us. Yep, yep, hooray, right, this morning? (laughs) Amazing. Now Jesus is such a wonderful teacher, even in his prayers, that he tells us that there are just some very wonderful blessings that we have as a result of this. And I want to just uh, bring them before your attention here this morning. Notice why he keeps us. 
He keeps us so that we might experience true unity with one another. Did you see that at the end of verse 11? Why will the Father keep us? Well, it's so they may be one, even as the Father and Son are one. Did you see this? Why is God keeping you preserved as one of His children? Well, it is so we may be one, unified, as Father and Son are unified. Now, let me ask a simple question. How are the Father and Son unified? Well, aren't they unified in that they share the same nature? Aren't they unified in that they have the same purpose? Now, how then are we unified as the children of God? Well, we all have the same nature, the life of Christ implanted in us, and we all have the same purpose to continue His mission of bringing the gospel to the world. So, we have Jesus' life, we have His purpose to promote the gospel. That is the basis for unity amongst all Christians. What Jesus is saying is God is calling out a people for Himself worldwide, and those people need each other, and they need to be together to do the work of God, and I keep them preserved that they might be united. And I share with you a sad story. Several years ago, somebody told me about a group of churches here in Marquette that decided that they would have fellowship amongst each other and would form sort of an organizational unity. And when they got together, they decided, well, we need to have some sort of an affirmation of faith that will kind of describe our fellowship. And so they talked about a number of things, and they finally decided on Jesus is Lord. That will define us. Do you know what one church, if you can call it that, in the group said? Well, if we say Jesus is Lord, that will exclude all other religions who don't believe that He is Lord. And so they discussed it, and this was related to me by a pastor in town who knew this, and they decided rather than break up their unity, they would reject the statement, Jesus is Lord. You know what? That's not unity. That's compromise, isn't it? The basis of our unity is in the person of Jesus Christ and the gospel that He came to reveal. You can't be united with people that deny that. It's not possible. So Jesus says this is the basis of true unity. Let me show you also, he says, this is the basis of true joy. Look at the end of verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Do you know why God preserves us in our relationship with Christ? So that we can have ongoing joy. Now, uh, let me just say to us, and I, I think we all know this, the most joyful place for a Christian to be is in the center of the will of God. 
And the center of the will of God always includes fellowship with the Father, fellowship with the Son, and fellowship with God's people. That is always included in being in the center of God's will. Uh, As we've gone through this study, one of the things we've noticed is that John often gives little commentary in his first letter on what Jesus has been teaching in the Gospel of John. Turn back to 1 John 1 for just a moment, and notice his little commentary here in verses 3 and 4 on where true joy is found for a Christian. Look at this. 1 John 1, verses 3 and 4. Look at John's little commentary. Please make this connection. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Now here's our burden and our focus. So that you too may have fellowship with us, That's the horizontal human level with other believers. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the vertical. And we are writing these things so that our joy and yours along with us may be complete. Do you know the most unhappy person in the world is not necessarily the non-believer? Did you know that? The non-believer is pursuing the thing that their nature wants, their own way and, and sin and whatever pleases them. And since that pleases their nature, they're very happy. You know who the most unhappy person in the world is? It's the Christian out of fellowship. That's the most unhappy person. The Christian out of fellowship with their Lord and with the people of God that God has given to us for our benefit, if you are out of fellowship with them, you cannot possibly be satisfied. It just will not work. That's not the way God intended it. Why does He preserve us in the faith? It is so in fellowship with His self and with His Son and with His people. We find true joy. Let me just drop this in for a moment. You ever notice how some of the most happy people in the church are older Christians? You ever notice that? That's one of the reasons why, by the way, we need older Christians. And if you say, why are older Christians often the happiest people in the church? It's because they have been walking with the Lord in fellowship for a long time. And they have been serving His people in the body of Christ. And there is no greater fulfillment that comes to any Christian than walking with the Lord for a long time and serving His people in the body of Christ. And so when you look around the church and you say, why is it that those older saints are so joyful and happy? It is because the Father has kept them in their relationship with the Son and out of that they are experiencing fullness of joy. Let me give you one more blessing. True protection. True protection. Look at verse 14. 
I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now the Bible says that we have three enemies. Two are listed here, the world and Satan, the evil one. This past week as I was uh, studying for this message, I came across this very helpful diagram. Every Christian ought to understand a balanced view of the evil influences that are working against us. Did you notice how they're interconnected? The enemies of our faith do not work separately or independent. They are interconnected. Now the Bible says that Satan is our chief adversary and what he does is he uses the world around us to appeal to the flesh within us. And you can see right here in Jesus' prayer his goals. Jesus said, verse 14, the world hates us because we belong to Jesus and are different, therefore it pressures us. And in verse 15, he describes Satan as the evil one who tempts us to cave to the pressure of the world to conform and to lose our witness. There are the goals. Right there. Now next Sunday, what we're going to see is we're going to see how God fortifies us so that we are preserved against the evil one. The important thing to see here is that he does that. That's what Jesus prayed. He prayed in verse 15, keep them from the evil one. He prayed that that would happen. Let's look again at what he said to Peter. Why does he say, Simon, Simon? That was his name before conversion, wasn't it? After he met Jesus, he became what? Peter. You know what Simon, Simon means? Weak. Vacillating. Unpredictable. Peter, you don't have a prayer to keep yourself. And by the way, did Peter learn that lesson? Yeah, he did. Brothers and sisters, uh, you know what else Peter shows us? True believers can backslide, fall into sin, and deny their Lord. True believers can backslide, fall into sin, and deny their Lord, but, but, it is a temporary backsliding, not a permanent one. The Lord will bring them back. I have prayed for you. The content of my prayers that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned back, you will strengthen your brothers. You know what Jesus said in John 10? My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And they will never perish. 
Jesus' sheep can wander away for a time, but He is the great I Am, the great Good Shepherd, and He will bring them back to Himself. God will keep them loyal even after they have lapsed. As I was preparing for this message, I read a wonderful statement about this from the great Bible student J.I. Packer, who now is up in his 80s. Listen to what he said. Sometimes the regenerate backslide and fall into gross sin. But in this they act out of character, do violence to their own new nature, and make themselves deeply miserable. How many of us could give that testimony? I'm a child of God, I backslid, and I can give testimony I was deeply miserable. The Packer says, so that in that miserable condition, eventually they seek and find restoration to righteousness. In retrospect, their lapse seems to them to have been madness. You ever felt that way as a Christian? I fell into sin or disobedience or waywardness, and now I look back, it was madness. I, I, I don't even know what I was thinking. But now he continues. When regenerate believers act in character, they manifest a humble, grateful desire to please the God who saved them. And the knowledge that he's pledged to keep them safe forever simply increases this desire. And isn't that the way you feel today? Lord Jesus, you prayed for me. You are keeping me in the faith. If I wander away, you will bring me back. When you begin to understand that and it grips your heart, you don't want to then stray, but you want to stay in the path that pleases your Heavenly Father who has been so good in preserving you. You know what Jesus said to Peter? I'm not going to let Satan have you permanently. In the same way, he will not let Satan have a true Christian permanently. No matter how badly we may lapse, Jesus has prayed that the Father will keep us. And because His prayers are always answered, He will keep us and bring us back. What wonderful good news. What wonderful good news. Let's pray together. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, do you have this assurance that I am preaching about this morning?
Or are you sitting where you're at saying, Pastor, I'm not really sure that I'm one of Jesus' sheep. And I do not have the absolute assurance that I will still be a Christian ten years from now because I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until the day of Christ Jesus. You can't say that. Listen, Jesus prayed that everyone who has genuine faith and repentance in his sacrifice and resurrection would have this assurance. And if you're not sure you have it now, I want to encourage you right where you're at to turn to Christ. Jesus is present amongst us. We are not here just by ourselves. His gospel has been proclaimed. And you, by his invitation, can come to know him. Would you say something like this from your heart to his, Lord, I know that in my heart of hearts, I'm really a Judas. I'm a Peter. Quite honestly, I'm a betrayer and a denier, and I have nothing that I know would commend me to you. I acknowledge that. But would you say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me. You rose again. Would you tell him that you are repenting? You've lived your way. Now you're turning from that. And Lord, I'm coming to you. And would you say by an act of faith, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be my Savior. Come into my life and be my Lord. Forgive me of all the wrongs I've done and will do. Give me the life that you rose to provide for me. Make me a child of God. And now, knowing that you will not live the Christian life perfectly, you will not live a sinless life, but you will be changed. You will be different. You'll have different desires. Knowing that, say, Lord Jesus, the best that I'm able, God helping me, I will now follow Jesus with all my heart. Lord, as a teenager, I prayed this prayer many times and I never seemed to be able to feel that I had really closed with Christ and I remained in doubt and uncertainty and in fear for much longer than I should have. And then one day I, I just had to say, Lord, I've done what your word has asked. I, I take it now by faith. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it for me. And then, Lord, as I've seen you working your transformation in my life, changing my desires, 
I've recognized. Yes. True life has come. And Jesus now lives in me. And I thank you, Lord, that ten years from now I know that I will be a Christian. Not because I am able to keep myself. I'm like Simon, shifty, unreliable, unpredictable. But in Jesus Christ and in his prayer for me, I am kept, I am guarded, and I am his possession. I pray that for all that are here today, I pray that they would come to this assurance and then find the delight and the joy that comes from walking with Jesus. We love you today. For Jesus' sake, amen.